The reading is from Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 13. From Pathos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Poseidon, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought Israel, the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. 
but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them, and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you all. May I speak in the name of the one true living God, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. On Wednesday evening of last week, uh, my fellow church warden, uh, Julie Tregonig, and I, accompanied by our rector, Rob, attended a church service that I wasn't particularly familiar with in Market Harbour. Uh, I'm not entirely sure I know what was going on through the duration of all of that service, but I think Julie and I were officially charged with being church wardens. Uh, I think we pleaded guilty, and we've been sentenced to serve here for a period of time. At least I think that's what was going on. It, it wasn't entirely clear. However, as we came out of the church... Uh, uh, along with lots of other people coming out of the church at speed to comply with uh, restrictions, we noticed a group of teenagers sitting on the benches in the square looking somewhat perplexed by all these people coming out of church, many of whom were wearing their finest official garments. We, the three of us, commented as we came out that uh, these teen what would these teenagers have thought as they saw all these people, some of them dressed up in an unfamiliar garb, what would they have thought as they saw all this going on at the church in the middle of town? And it occurred to us that it's very unlikely that any of those young people would have believed that inside that building, inside that church, or indeed inside any church, they would find meaning and purpose and hope and direction. 
None of them, you might be surprised to know, walked up to us and said, do you have a message for us? Do you have something to tell us? Here we are, a group of teenagers sitting in town. Is there something you want to share with us? None of them said, we're told that you Christians have the answer to life's problems. Can you tell us about that? None of, us, none of them came to us and said, we're really struggling, but we know that in church, that's where there is meaning and purpose and hope. So do tell us what's going on. Why is it that they, that group of teenagers, our unbelieving friends and work colleagues, family members, why don't they speak in this way? Why don't they ask us as Christians to explain how life works? Why being a Christian is so much better? What it's all about? The truth is, of course, that we as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, do have answers to the deepest and most difficult problems of life. Because the answer is Jesus, isn't it? He is the answer to it all. We do know the way to purpose and meaning and hope. It's Jesus. We do know real deep joy, a joy and a peace that the world cannot understand and the world cannot take away. It comes from Jesus. We can make sense of difficulties. We can even face death without fear. There's people within our own congregation doing that very thing now because of Jesus. It's not that our lives are all sorted. Of course it's not. That's not true. But rather we know a man who does have life all sorted and who's already at work in us, helping us to deal with life and sort it out for us. Yet few people outside of the church expect the church to be the place to go and sort life out. Talking to a friend recently who was working in a church in a very difficult place in Wales, when he was sharing the gospel with a group of unbelievers, they said, I've got enough problems of my own. I don't need church as well as another problem. Seeing church as an issue, as a problem, as another thing to deal with, not as the solution. Few outside the church, it seems, expect Jesus to be at all relevant to them and to their circumstances. I think this is really sad. Why is this? Well, perhaps our time together over the next few weeks in the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles may help us towards an understanding of how we can make an impact. Because as we see in verse 15 of our passage here in chapter 13, the people do indeed come up to Paul and Barnabas and speak to them and say, tell us something. Do you have a message of encouragement? Is there something you can share with us? And that's what we want people to ask us, isn't it? We want people to come to us and say, what's it all about? Do you have some good news for us? Do you have answers and hope and meaning and direction that you'll share with us? That's what we're longing for people to say, isn't it? Well, as we began chapter 13 last week, Rob showed us so clearly from that first bit that the people of God were gathered together, brought together and encouraged and built up and then sent out to share the good news. And we saw ourselves, didn't we, in that process of being gathered together, perhaps especially for us here in Thurnby, as we approach a, a, a significant time, perhaps the end of the restrictions that we've been living in, as we stand on the edge of some new and exciting prospects and opportunities, we get a sense, don't we, that we're being gathered together. Hopefully you people watching and listening sense that being gathered together, even though maybe not yet physically. With the hub 
project running, with resourcing church opportunities, with the various groups that we've got, with Sarah and, and Steve here joining us and, and the opportunities there as we stand on the edge of planting a church nearby. All of these give us a sense of us being gathered together in order to be sent out. So the first part of chapter 13 talks about that gathering and sending. Now this part is an example of what it is we're meant to say when we go out. What is the message that we take? What is the good news? Although it's quite a long section, very well read by Marianne, thank you so much for doing that. Although it's quite a long section, I think it's possible to pick out just a handful of key elements of what Paul said to these churches in what is also known as the area of Galatia. And perhaps the first step towards becoming the sort of church where people do ask us, what are you doing in there? What's it all about? Perhaps the first step towards this is to remember, to be reminded of the heart of the message that we have. And I appreciate how simple and ridiculous this sounds, but it's important to remember that the heart of the message, the core of the message, is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It sounds so obvious, doesn't it? But we need to be reminded of this constantly. The message isn't primarily about us and our lives. Testimonies can be hugely powerful. We need those. We welcome those when we meet together. Accounts of how Jesus has been working in our lives. But that isn't the primary message. The message is about Jesus, the one that we love and serve and who loves us. The message isn't about trying really hard to be the right kind of person. The message isn't about being good. It's not about how many rotors we're on. And as church starts to meet together again in person, all the rotors are coming, aren't they? And we're on the verge of those emails from Rob Pearson on a Thursday saying, you'd forgotten that you were doing this, this, and this on Sunday. That isn't the primary message. That isn't what it's all about. The message is not even about God. Because I don't know about you, but I find... There's a difference, isn't there, between talking about God and talking about Jesus. Conversations with people about God sometimes seem so unhelpful. So many people, both within church and outside of them, have views of God that are unhelpful, distorted, plain wrong. Our focus must always be on Jesus, the one, the only one, who makes the real God known. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a historical figure, a person who existed and lived and who moved and taught, who did real things, who did astonishing, astonishing things in his life, who dissected time and history, who's the most famous and influential person ever to live. That's the message. That's where we start with Jesus. Not with some strange concept of God, but with that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. There may be some weird lunatic fringes that refuse to believe that Jesus actually existed, but they're so few and totally irrelevant. They're not the issue. Most people accept that someone called Jesus ex existed, existed and did some uh, unusual things, but most people misunderstand him or dismiss him as irrelevant. Paul takes time in his sermon to the church in Pisidian Antioch to explain Jesus' extraordinary human life and to talk about how that life was predicted long before it actually happened with astonishing accuracy and that this Jesus lived an amazing, a striking life. It's impossible not to look at the life of Jesus and be struck how extraordinary it was and he was. We need not to be ashamed 
or embarrassed when we talk about Jesus. We're talking about somebody who can control the elements. We're talking about somebody who no sickness, no disease was ever an issue for. With a word, he could deal with it all. We're talking about somebody who could feed thousands of people with a small packed lunch. We're talking about somebody who, is in char- who created the whole universe, who's in charge of it now. We need not be ashamed or embarrassed about talking about him. Let's take our attention off some concept of God, whatever that means, and focus our minds on Jesus. On Jesus. And yet, is it just me or is it surprisingly difficult sometimes to bring the name Jesus into a conversation? How much more difficult it is to use Jesus than it is to use God. The conversation just turns when you drop the J-bomb, doesn't it? Drop Jesus into a conversation and it just feels... Why do we find it that much more difficult? But we do seem to. As Paul talks to these people here, unashamedly with the message, the great news that is going to go out to all the world, he says it's all about Jesus. That's what he talks about. Look at verses uh, 32 and 33. That's when he's, he's talking about. This is all about Jesus. He's the one that was predicted. That's what it was. So the first key point of the message we're meant to share is the message is clearly focused on Jesus. His extraordinary life, his surprising, refreshing, vitalizing teaching, his death, the fact that he rose from the dead, and the promise that he's coming back. I suspect that the teenagers in Market Harbour don't really know that. They don't really know that Jesus. I suspect that uh, our neighbours who live next door to us, Roger and Anne, or my brother, or Trevor, who I work with, I don't think they really know that real Jesus. They might have a concept of God, but they don't know that Jesus. So he, he must be the core of our message. The second element that seems clear from what Paul says here is that the message is for everyone. For everyone. Paul uses language, particularly in verse 39, that may not be familiar to all of us uh, when, he, when, when he talks, but he does say that everyone who believes in Jesus is welcome. Certainly within the book of Acts, the primary issue seems to be that the message of Jesus is relevant to both Jews and to Gentiles. That debate, the Jew and Gentile one, might not be the hot topic of teenagers on a bench in Market Harbour right now. It might not be for the people that we go to school with or to work with. But the overriding point is that the message of Jesus is for everyone. Even for those who, as it's described earlier in this chapter, whose behavior has been endured by God for a long time. In other words, people who haven't lived up to a standard. People who haven't done what they should. Whatever our past, whatever we've done, or whatever that has been done to us, Whatever regrets we have, whatever guilt we live with, whatever secret shame chooses up inside when we're on our own, whatever burdens we carry, whatever background we have, whether we're rich or poor, whether we think we've got it all sorted, Jesus knows and Jesus is still interested. You may be listening to this or watching this uh, and thinking, yes, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't. Jesus does. Jesus knows and he cares and he welcomes everybody. Teenagers, elderly people, people who are currently worshipping other gods or no gods at all, people who are angry, sad, lonely, full of joy, 
totally secure, down and out, living in sin, the message of Jesus is for everyone. So the message is about Jesus, the message is for everyone, and then perhaps a third key element of the message that we're called to share is that as a result of turning to Jesus, life can be, will be, very, very different. The end of verse 39, Paul talks about the way that Jesus accomplishes something that the Old Testament, or the law of Moses as he calls it, can't accomplish. Again, the language might not be familiar to us all, but the truth of what Jesus accomplishes is a life that nothing else accomplishes. It's not just that the law of Moses or the Old Testament can't accomplish this. Nothing else can transform and give life and hope and security and joy and take away fear and despair. Lots of things, of course, promise to do this, don't they? Lots and lots of things, whether it's yoga or more money, or a relationship, or a lack of a relationship, or a bigger house, or a better job, or a different body shape, or a diet, or a holiday, or whatever it might be. All these things promise to make our life better, to transform us. Whatever the promise, real, lasting change, true freedom, joy, peace, genuine purpose and direction comes only from a relationship and in a relationship with Jesus. He can deal with all that has gone on in the past. He has got sorted everything that's going on in the future. And he is present in every single moment of now to give us all that we need. And he longs to give us life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness. He can and will change us, change our lives, change the way we think, the way we feel, and bring us a new kind of life, sharing his life. He can change us in a way that nothing else can. At least some of the teenagers on the bench, some of the people that we engage with, want a life that is different to the life they're living today. They want change. They're not satisfied with what's on offer. There's a lot of people spending a lot of time and a lot of money trying to find meaning and purpose and security, especially now when the world seems very different than it did perhaps 18 months ago. A lot of people want difference. A lot of people want change and transformation. Many of them have tried and continue to try all sorts. They need to know Jesus. They need to meet with Jesus. And they need the life that he offers and promises. A life that is free of fear, full of light, not plagued by despair or anxiety, not gripped with fear, life without guilt or shame, but filled with direction and purpose and hope and joy. The God that some people imagine in their, heart, in their heads seems strict and angry, a killjoy, somebody who's out to make life difficult, to make life far less than it should be. But the God of the Bible, as revealed in Jesus, is full of kindness, overflowingly generous, constantly offering to forgive us and start again, no matter what a mess we've made. He wants to forgive us. He loves to forgive us. He went to the extent of giving up his own life in order that we can share his glorious life. He's longing to treat us and to give us more than we can ask or even imagine to ask. 
All this, it seems, is stated or implied by Paul in his speech to these people in Pisidian Antioch. When Paul shares this news, the message that focuses on Jesus, that is great news for everyone and that transforms lives, perhaps it's no surprise that more people want to hear it because he finishes and only a week later, we're told in verse 44, the whole city turns up to hear about it. (laughs) Of course! Why not? With a message like that, of course people will want to hear It's true, of course, that some people don't want to hear the message and try to stop it. But the fact that some people choose not to hear didn't stop Paul and Barnabas and mustn't stop us as we gather together to be sent out with this message. There will be somebody who choose, some people who choose not to hear. So, there'll be a whole load more who want to hear. And the chapter ends with that wonderful statement in verse 52 verse 52, that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Despite the fact that some people were so opposed to the message that they drove Paul and Barnabas out of of town, the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't we want that? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that the life? Isn't that the experience that we all want to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit? That makes it all worthwhile. It's when we talk about Jesus, the Jesus who is interested and inviting and welcoming to everybody, the Jesus who transforms life and makes life better, that we too can be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit and equipped to do this more and more. Then, perhaps, just maybe, a group of teenagers sitting on a bench or a next-door neighbor, or a work colleague, or a school friend may say to us, why do you bother with church? Or they may say to us, how do you live like you do? Or they may say, why do you seem so relaxed? Or why do you seem so full of joy? Or why do you have a strange peace that I don't have? And those of us who are being gathered together and sent out will share this wonderful news of this amazing Jesus. Amen.